Hey everybody, Evan Lazar alongside Alex Barth, Patriots Beat Live podcast edition. Sorry for the technical delay there, but we're here now. We're going to break down OTAs, Patriots Thursday OTAs. We're open to the media. We can discuss all the different angles that happened out there, maybe get to some other things later on in the show as well. If you guys want to drop any questions or anything like that in the chat, uh, we'll try to answer some things later on in the show as well. But First and foremost, Alex, uh, out at OTAs today, we're, uh, for the first about an hour and 20 minutes was all drills against the air, you know, running routes, throwing passes into trash cans, uh, things like that. Nothing really too competitive or too exciting. Then we get into the first team period of the entire offseason program uh, that we've been able to see. And Cam Newton goes first and Mac Jones goes second right behind him, followed by Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer. So just your reaction, Alex, to the fact that I think we can safely say based off of this at least, and maybe this is a little bit too much looking into one practice session and one team period, but based off of what we saw today, Mac Jones is already QB2. Which is a pretty quick ascension there. Yeah, if you remember what I said on Tuesday, and I wrote this in my OTA preview column on 985thesportsub.com as well, I was urging people to not freak out over the order that the quarterbacks threw, right? Yeah. I, they, they went in order of seniority last year. Brian Hoyer threw first, even though Cam and Stidham were the two that were viewed competing for the starting job. And I kind of urged everybody to be cautious. If Mac throws last, it is what it is. I said it on the show, and I said it in my column. The only thing we're going to learn about the quarterback position in OTAs is if Mac throws anywhere but last and he threw second. That's huge because Bill Belichick, especially at this time of the year, bases everything on seniority. The rookie, look, look, the rookies don't even have numbers yet. He's making the rookies earn their numbers and Mac Jones is throwing ahead of Stidham. That one is what it is. He's throwing ahead of Brian Hoyer, who's been in this league for over a decade. That tells me they're incredibly high on Stidham. It tells me a hell of a lot more than all the people who were bemoaning the uh, subdued draft room reaction when they took him and saying the team wasn't high on Stidham. They have him throwing ahead of a 10-year veteran at the first public practice. They like this kid. They do. It was pretty funny because he's out there. He's wearing number 50. The jersey's three sizes too big for him because it's fit for a linebacker or something like that, right? The jersey's a baggy on him. He's wearing these baggy gym shorts. He's just, he's got zero swag whatsoever out there. Cam Newton has all this drip, right? He's got the, the tights on. He it looks like a star quarterback in the NFL. Mac Jones comes out in this, these baggy shirt, baggy shorts. All of a sudden we get into competitive part of practice and he's already quarterback too. And I would have to go back and, and really think about it and go through all the different training camps and stuff like that. But let alone a quarterback, but just any rookie. I, I just can't remember the last time that any rookie was already playing this many snaps with some of the first team guys, right? Like as, right. as the quarterback too, as the backup, whatever you want to call it. I mean, even a guy like Nikhil Harry or Sony Michelle or any of those other players that they've dropped in the first round in the last couple of years since we got on the beat, all those guys still had to earn their keep and they still had to rise up the depth chart before they finally got onto the, the field with the starters. Not Mac Jones. He just well, comes right in and, and is QB two. 
let's I, I do want to push back on that a little bit. And, and, you know, Mac Jones didn't earn his way to the to where he is at on the depth I, chart. I'm not saying he didn't they, earn it. I'm right, saying they, they, they already like he him. He did now. it quicker. Right. He did right. it quicker. They had the, the offseason Zoom meetings. They had rookie mini camp. This was the third OTA practice. So clearly, like, I, I don't think, you know, if we had been there day one of OTAs, is Mac throwing second? I, I, I don't know. Was he throwing second for those those workouts right ahead of OTAs? I highly doubt it. He's earned this behind the scenes. We have to remember we're coming in partway through the process and witnessing this partway through the process. But, yeah, that is an incredibly, incredibly rapid ascension for Mac Jones because, again, normally at this time of year, they base everything on seniority. Mac Jones has thrown no NFL passes. He's taken no NFL snaps. He's played in no NFL games. And they have him ahead of a guy who's played in this league for over a decade in Brian Hoyer. That, to me, says something. I, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the starter week one. It doesn't even necessarily mean he's a lock to be good. It just means that they believe in this kid. They think he's doing all the right things. They think he's making the progress they need to see where they can put him in a more foundational role. Right. And the other, you know, just kind of getting into actually what we saw of Mac Jones, obviously I think the order and the way he carried himself and where the way he was kind of his standing in the pecking order, I think is the most important takeaway more so than anything, any throw that he actually made because we're not really into padded practices with live competitive drills yet. And well, this is more of a, of an education period as Bill Belichick would call it, right? A, t- a teaching and a learning period, not a, yeah. not a evaluation period. So he threw three passes and seven on sevens, two check downs, one drop by Christian Wilkerson over the middle. But there was a drill earlier on in practice where they had the, Offense was going up against uh, a defender, two defenders. They were basically a two-man route combination versus two defensive backs. And they were running the same route combination over and over and over again. They weren't changing the route combination, but they were changing the coverage. So the goal was, okay, th- this time the, the corner, outside corner is going to sit and the inside uh, defender is going to take the, you know, uh, over the top. Next time they're going to play man-to-man coverage. The next time we're going to flip the zone, right? And we're going to go all these different sort of iterations of coverages and just see how does the quarterback react? Does he know where his answer is based off the movement of the defense after the snap? And that's where Mac, I thought, made some really uh, quick decisions with the football, sort of just seeing, okay, you know, the corner's sitting, I'm going to throw the seam. Okay, the corner's off, I'm going to throw the hitch. You know, that that type of thing. And being able to make those types of quick decisions with the football, I think, was really telling. And then later on in practice, actually, after seven-on-sevens, they got into uh, – setting the mic, protections, and and this was a walkthrough, right? The the guys on the other side of the football, uh, Shaq Mason was playing uh, three technique, right? You know, like this was, this was not a competitive live drill. All they were doing is sort of walking through it. And Mac was under center, setting the mic, getting everybody in line, making sure that the blitz was going to get picked up or the pressure scheme was going to get picked up. And then the, the offensive players playing defense were throwing things at them, right? You know, okay, and this time we're going to blitz this guy and drop that guy and vice versa. We're going to stunt or whatever. And uh, Mac got all the ducks in a row, got, got everything blocked for the most part. I wrote that JJ Taylor actually had a few nice uh, decisions off those that the coaches were pretty high, highly, uh, you know, praising him for but it just looked to me like they were throwing 
a whole lot of just information and processing and mental processing type of stuff at Mac today and not necessarily as much of the, let's say, you know, well, let's, let's see him make a 30 yard, you know, throw down the field. Let's right. see him drive the ball down the field. It wasn't so much about that as it was, uh, let's see how much mental acumen this guy has. And I, I thought that it looked like he passed all the eye tests that we could at least tell from the stance. Yeah, and, you know, you also have the players after Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne, talking about his leadership ability. Right. Kendrick Bourne said that he didn't expect Mac Jones to have as much swagger as he did. Yeah. And look, the baggy jersey and big shorts, that sounds like somebody else we know who who maybe didn't, you know. It's just it. funny because it felt like the coaching staff and, like, the equipment staff were just like, you're a rookie, here's some stuff, put it on. You know what I right. mean? Like, you know, don't don't come and out here I wouldn't be, with, with, with your headband on and all that. No, there's not well, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if there's an element of that here. Yeah. And it's, you know, part of it, it, it this sounds stupid, but, I, you know, I've heard of coaches doing this in other sports. I don't know if the Patriots have ever done this, but I know uh, a, a college baseball coach who I've talked to, he would give, uh, when he had his top recruits come in, right, he would give them uniform pants that were two sizes too big. Yeah. And he wouldn't tell them. He would, like, and, and if they told him about it, he would say, okay, deal with it. And because he, like, there's going to be things that affect you that are uncomfortable that you can't handle, whether it's weather or crowd conditions, nagging injuries or whatever. So I don't know, you know, this is kind of the checkers versus chess thing. I don't know that that's what Bill's doing, but I honestly thought of that. When I saw Mac Jones in those shorts, did they give him equipment that they knew was going to be uncomfortable just to see how he handles it and something like that? But yeah, no, you, you, you have players, you know, promoting his leadership ability. Uh, the big word was energy and this yeah. was Mac and Cam. I feel like every single play when they were talking saying that the quarterback position was bringing a lot of energy to practice. And that's what you want to see because those guys are going to drive the tempo. Those guys are going to drive the mood on the field. Those guys are going to keep everybody engaged or lose everybody in the other direction if it's somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. It sounds like both Cam and Mac have this team's attention. They have this team's focus. They are setting a tone for a team that plans to do some damage this year, turn around their struggles from last year, that that all business attitude is still here as it as it was during Brady's era. And, and that's good to see because that's one thing you can't scout, right? We could talk about Max Arm. We could talk about his ability to read the field, his ability to make pre-snap checks. We could talk about that a ton. Uh, and, you know, you hear this and that, players at Alabama, do they like him, don't they, whatever. You don't really know how a 22, 23, 24-year-old kid is going to command an NFL offense until you see it. That's a yeah. complete and total unknown, and it's very early. It's one practice, but y- you have to like what you saw from Mac Jones in that regard. And I actually – so I wrote something about this for 985thesportshub.com today, and in the tweet, I, I you know, I just teased it as – Patriots players noticing similarities between Cam Newton and Mac Jones and everybody instantly without clicking the link. This is why I always click the link. Everybody without clicking the link assumed that was some negative. All the comments were like, oh, no, what's wrong with Mac, blah, blah, blah. I, I understand Patriots fans have some issues with Cam Newton. Some of them are certainly justified. But, boy, if if I could have my quarterback learn being a leader from anybody – Cam Newton is very high on that list. The way he captivated that team last year, the way he held that locker room, the, the way guys wanted to go to war for him specifically, uh, you can't te- you, you can kind of teach it. You can't really teach it. He had that trait. If Mac has some of that trait as well, and if Cam doing that can kind of rub off on Mac a little bit, that's huge. 
Yeah, I do want to talk about Mac Jones as well because we talked a lot about, or excuse me, about Cam as well. Uh, we talked a lot about Mac. Cam clearly is still the starting quarterback in, in everybody's eyes, right? He's the guy we talk about right. Mac taking the second reps. Cam well, was the one Bill taking the Bill said he's the starter after right. the draft. Right. And, uh, Bill said he was the starter after the draft and today nothing they did nothing today to dispel that, right? He was the first guy in every single drill. Uh, he was the first one up. Now, I, I think the good news is from what I saw with Cam was the arm strength looks like it's very much still there, right? He he was zipping the ball around today. Uh, he had plenty of zip on his throws in terms of driving the ball down the field. Didn't see a ton of uncorked deep balls from anybody besides Brian Hoyer, which we can get to in a second. But for the most part, it was uh, just, you know, those 10, 12-yard throws, and, and Cam was doing a pretty good job of zipping those well, how down did, the How field. did his footwork look? Because he was supposed yeah. to be focusing on that this offseason. Right. So I, I would say, look, I, I think everything – I, I think the arm, his arm and throwing motion, his throwing motion is, is what I'm, I'm trying to say. That looked exactly the same as it always has, right? And we talked to quarterbacks coach Jed Fish. We talked about John, to Josh McDaniels last year a whole lot about the fact that at this stage of his career, 31, 32 years old, 10 years in the NFL, you're really not going to change the delivery. Right. The way the ball comes out of his hands and the way that his arm moves and stuff like that, that's pretty much set in stone at this point because he's had so many repetitions of doing it the same way that any chance of kind of training him to do it a different way is probably asking a whole lot of him at this point. Now, the footwork I thought was pretty solid today. And the one thing that I, I would say is that it does clearly seem like he is trying to throw from a higher release point and keeping himself on the balls of his feet a little bit more and keeping himself uh, upward, you know, taller when he throws the football and keeping those shoulders parallel, which I think is really important as well when we talk about throwing mechanics. You don't want to have that backwards tilt, right? You want to have those shoulders parallel. You want to step into the throw. You want to be in an athletic position. I think at times last year, Cam did kind of, you know, squat a little bit too much when right. he was throwing the ball and, and that's when he got that really wide base and his footwork sort of got away from him uh today it seemed like he was at least trying to emphasize the footwork in terms of being a little bit taller being a little bit more upright as he went through the throwing motion and, and I think that that's something that will be beneficial to him in the long term but with all that said and I don't want to like look too much into one practice or anything like that, but it, he still had some issues controlling the ball, right? Like there were still some throws. Uh, there was one in, in seven on sevens. Uh, Matt Lacoste actually had to make a diving catch to make the catch. Uh, Cam, Cam threw it a little bit wide of him and he dove and caught it. There was a couple of throws um in just, you know, against air where the ball got away from him just a little bit. Maybe the wind was a little bit of a factor on one or two of them. It was a little bit windy when he was throwing at one point, but for the most part the arm looked live the arm looked good I don't think there's any concerns about the shoulder uh, we're still talking about consistency with accuracy though a little bit with Cam yeah and I mean that's something too that we'll get a better idea of that once they're running full speed and that won't be until July but right it, it's hard to total I mean I saw your your tweet where, where Mac has to jump up and get the ball that was a sick catch yeah. by the way yeah, that Cam was, was a really like, good catch to be fair Cam was kind of goofing around a little bit not goofing oh, around I, no Maybe, I didn't I mean I didn't, you know I didn't I mean. take that throw seriously but like yeah. you know you, you look at that kind of thing and, and after the year he had last year that's certainly going to garner more attention uh, yeah but that kind of stuff 
you put more stock into it once they're going up against the defense, once they're running 80, 90, 100%. You're just not right. going to get that in OTAs. Right. The fastest uh, paced team drill is the, that seven on seven period. And right. they were probably going maybe 65, 75%, you know, something like that, three quarter speed maybe. And, uh, Cam did probably have the best, I would say, like, in-game throw, like a throw that would actually exist in, a, in an actual NFL game. Brian Hoyer's deep ball to Nelson Aguilar. It looked like the corners on that side of the field or the safety on that side of the field kind of fell asleep a little bit. Aguilar got behind him, and Brian Hoyer threw up an arm punt to get it down there to, to Aguilar, who made a great catch, and we can talk about Aguilar in a second. But the best throw just from a hits the top of the drop, makes the right read, gets the ball out, puts it in a good spot, and we move the chains, was a throw to Nelson Aguilar along the sideline from Cam Newton. They dropped it to cover three. The corners bailed, and he hit him on, like, a 12-yard comeback route along the sideline. From our vantage point, it looked like Cam kind of – was leading him a little bit too far out of the sideline, but Aguilar, I guess that the coaches gave it to him, right? They, were, they, they said that he got his, it was able to tap yep. toes in and everything. So that was by far the best out of Mac and Cam. Certainly that was the best downfield throw that we saw out of the two guys. So I don't think Cam did anything today by any means to make me concerned or like on anything we saw last year which was concerning on itself, obviously, but not, you know, any more concern uh, at all with, with off from Cam today. So uh, a pretty optimistic day for all, for all the quarterbacks. I, I mentioned Brian Hoyer had probably the highlight of the day uh, to Nelson Aguilar, and that was sort of the next place I wanted to uh, take it, was speaking about Hunter Henry and Aguilar and just the fact that it was nice to see two real NFL weapons on the field for the huh. Patriots again, right? Like, we haven't really seen that since probably 2018, I guess, with Edelman and Gronk both, both out there in training camp. But to see those two guys out there, and it was pretty crystal clear, I would say, especially with Aguilar's speed and then Hunter Henry's just route technique and detail and stuff like that, that those guys were on a different level than the rest of the crew that was out there. And it was, it might be a breath of fresh air for Josh McDaniels to go out there at practice and know that you at least have two guys that are above average, you know, like, you know, guys that can actually right. go out there and make some plays. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to be on bet on all your sports action baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC, MMA action real time. Updated odds and props on almost everything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. And they're going to get John U. Smith too. I don't, he wasn't there today, right? I no, he wasn't there today. Not OTA, so, but, uh, that, it, it's certainly got to be exciting. And, and this is kind of what we've talked about. I feel like maybe it's harder for some people to picture in their heads, but you know, you've now seen it on the field. And when training camp comes, people will get to see it on the field that, you know, yeah, adding that one superstar receiver that Julio Jones would certainly be nice, but they've built up an offense. Now they have options, real legitimate options, guys who can get themselves open, guys who can make plays after the catch guys who can do both at the same time. I, 
it's going to look very different. I know people are scared about not having that true number one option because of the hole the Patriots were in last year, but having a bunch of pretty good options is also, you know, that's also certainly a way to work. So, yeah, it's it's going to be exciting to kind of see those guys again once they get up to speed, how those pieces start to click. Yeah, and uh, I, I think that when you watch Nelson Aguilar in particular, his – Vertical speed and just his ability yeah. to get off the line of scrimmage and get up. So the that's field. the thing. So every, everybody talks about his speed. Like how much does it stand out? I remember last year you telling me it like did. Demir Bird popped. Did it? it did yeah. it pop in the same way as Demir Bird? I think more so because with okay. Aguilar, what I see with his speed is a more physical speed. Like you feel it, right? You feel guys running with him. You feel the fact that he can get open at the top of the route a little bit better than Demir Bird as well. And when you watch him run routes, and it's really – it's easy in these training camp settings because you can literally just see – Aguilar, then Bourne, then Myers, then Harry, then Gunner, and then you just go right on down the line and you kind of see like, okay, what's the difference between uh, a guy with speed like Aguilar has and a guy with speed like Nikhil Harry has, which is not a whole lot of speed, right? And and you see those two kind of contrasting each other. And when Aguilar ran routes, you're like, okay, that's a dynamic route runner. That's that's a guy that can really create separation down the field and move down the field. And, And that's something that even last year during camp, Demir Bird never showed me that. You know, I, I don't think any of the right. guys that we saw last year in camp ever showed me that. And then I, I, it's almost like I watched Aguilar and I was like, that's what an NFL wide receiver should look like, right? Like yes. that's a guy that get, that's getting paid $11 million to come play wide receiver for the Patriots. That's the way he should move. That's the way he should carry himself. That's the way he should look just from his body uh, type standpoint. Not not so much. I never really saw that with Demir Bird, right? Like, he was fast, right. and you could tell against air that he could move, but he was not he was not physically fast like Nelson Aguilar is, and that, that was nice to see. So how about that, that that whole, you were just saying, like, this is what an NFL wide receiver is, how he should move, this is how he should catch, this is how he should right. run. Uh, do you get that from Kendrick Bourne at all? Not as much. You know, that, that was okay. the sort of the well, thing I, that I, I, I didn't think it would be as much because Aguilar is objectively a better player, but – like right. where's Kendrick Bourne in comparison to a guy like Nikhil Harry or Jacoby Myers? I think he's I think him and Jacoby move pretty similarly, but I think Bourne looks a little bit better built, I guess I would say, okay. than, than the guy. Yeah, Jacoby's a little bit slim, right? You know, yeah. he, he, Kendrick Bourne is built like an NFL wideout. I think he can run a little bit better than maybe a guy like Nikhil Harry, but he's kind of in that Jacoby Myers category. And I, whenever I see Kendrick Bourne, and this today kind of hammered this home, is like what they thought they were going to get out of Mohamed Sanu is sort of what I think they're going to get out of Kendrick Bourne, is a guy that certainly is not going to win with speed. And these types of passing camp OTA type stuff where there's no contact and they're just running routes against the air against light defense. He's not popping. He's not, he's not running by anybody, right? It's not super impressive, but the technique, the smarts, you know, sort of the, the savvy in the middle of the field to get open, uh, the, the strength at the catch point. I think you could see that all those things are going to be there for him, but no, he's not. He's not a flashy OTA type of guy, right? We're not going to write right. all these things about how great Kendrick Bourne looks in OTAs. I don't expect us to, at least. I, I We didn't see Trey Nixon. He wasn't out there today. Uh, he's dealing with some, I think Mike Reese said it was like a knee issue or something like that. But it wouldn't surprise me if we were almost more impressed with somebody like a Trey Nixon in, in this type of setting uh, just because of the speed uh, than somebody like a Bourne. But I think Bourne is going to be a, a solid player for them. But I think that there's still a little bit, 
we got to see it once the pads come on, I think, before we can right. really get into that one. I, I do want to talk about Hunter Henry, though, who every single time Hunter Henry ran a route, uh, Nick Cayley, the tight ends coach, was, like, turning to Devin Asiasi and uh, and the new guy, which is uh, Troy Famugala, I think it is. or Fumagali. Fumagali. That was my uh, guy in the 2018 draft. I yeah, was so high today. I know he's probably not going to make the team, but in yeah. 2018, I remember, that's the guy I was pounding the table for. Nine-finger Troy. Yeah, so, yeah, Troy was out there today. Uh, Devin Asiasi, Matt Lacoste were out there today. And every single time Hunter Henry ran around, Nick Cayley was just like, that's how you do it. <laughs> you, see, you see how he ran? You see how he did that? Dude, just do that. Like, just copy that, right? And and even against air, even against, like, light defense, even against coaches, Troy Brown's playing cornerback on him or something like that, right? Like, just the way that he moves, the de- the attention to detail, uh, the moves at the top of the route, the, the eye discipline to kind of, you know, show fakes and then move up the field. He ran one route, a, a stick nod, where he just is going to fake the stick route and then break up the seam. And he just like ran it perfectly. Like you could put that on the, on the teach tape for a, a, a you know, young wide at high school wide uh, tight ends, you know, can watch that route and learn something from it. And, and it was both Josh McDaniels and Nick Kelly was like, see how he just did that guys just do it. Just like Hunter just did it. And that, that to see that sort of level of professionalism out of a tight end, I, like I said about Aguilar, like we haven't really seen that since like Edelman and Gronk and, and those guys It's the same thing with Hunter Henry. Like last year, those tight ends in camp just don't even hold a candle to, to what we just saw in one practice out there from the way Hunter Henry moves, from the way he carries himself. Uh, they were doing that drill. Uh, they were just having some fun and trying to throw a football into a trash can down the field and all the quarterbacks are going through. And next thing you know, Hunter Henry's got the ball in his hand and he's huh. trying to throw. I think Devin Asiasi is jumping in line and, and trying to, to throw a ball in the trash can. Hell no. Right. Like that's like, right. that's like a, this is our $12 million tight end. You can have some fun, you know, during, during OTAs, you know, that, that, that's definitely what the sense that he got out of Hunter Henry was, this was easy for him. This was a, this was riding a bike. You know, he, he was walking in the park today. And that, that's what you want to see from these guys. I mean, he said after practice that, you know, he loves this time of year because everything's just kind of slowed down. Yeah. And it's not as intense. And sometimes you need that, right? You, you know, this is playing for the Patriots is going to be an intense experience. It's an intense environment, but it can be tough to learn like that. So just show up now and kind of be able to take things at his own pace to start and keep things light, you know, for, for when everything really hits the fan come late July in training camp. Uh, I think that's a good thing to see. I think having that mentality is good. And there was always this worry, I think, and, and maybe it's not as bad with, with Belichick staying, but I think I was worried when Brady and Belichick left, like, how much would the culture change? And obviously Belichick's still here, but it doesn't feel super different. It doesn't feel like the foot's come off the pedal at all. So, you know, a guy, guys like that, a guy like Hunter Henry who signs that big deal and still comes in and is going to OTAs, uh, you know, something like that, I think is certain, you know, Cam showing up at OTAs. I, you know, that's certainly encouraging yeah. that these veterans are, are, are showing up for, for those roles. Yeah, I, I think the four quarterbacks all showing up for OTAs was a really good message sent to yeah. the rest of the team um, that that this year is going to be different, that Cam was taking this year very seriously. You know, Bel- Coach Belichick said this morning that everybody Cam's been there since the jump. Like, he's been there since right. the very beginning, and he's been a participant the entire offseason program. So I, I think that he knew, and Cam talked about it so much over the offseason when he did those, like, sit-down interviews and stuff like that, or the thing with uh, the, the the whatever it was called, with all the former NFL players where they all sat in a circle and, and talked about their experiences and stuff like that. And he said, like, 
I never knew how important OTAs were until last year. And I never knew how important all that, that summer stuff was. And to see him there now, I, I think really does bode well for the rest of the year, even though there were some big glaring absences, right? You know, Devin McCourty's not there. Stephon Gilmore's not there. Dante Hightower wasn't there. Uh, Judon and Johnny Smith weren't there. JC Jackson wasn't there. Um, but at the same time, there 62 players showed up. That, that's a pretty good turnout. A lot of those guys were veteran players. Obviously, it's a very veteran-heavy team, and uh, all, a lot of those guys were there as well. So it uh, it felt like a good a good showing, and it felt like a, a pretty good um, group of people that that ended up showing up. Um, we can talk a, a quick minute about your boy Gunnar Oshesky and uh, okay. Jake Bailey. Uh, Bailey is like he he's he puts on a show. I mean, you've seen it. You didn't he, you he, didn't stop watching though. I'm a little I didn't. I didn't stop watch him. I didn't stop watch him. I'll, I'll try to do that uh, in minicamp. But I mean, he's out there, and like you, you lose sight of the ball in the sun. Gunner muffed one, and he pointed up to the sun, and he was like, "You kicked it so damn high that I couldn't. I couldn't see the ball coming down." You know, this guy just booms it. It's crazy. Like you know, it's just crazy to see uh, that kind of foot up close, and you know, that close. Like you see it from the press box, you see it from the stands, you see it on TV. But when you really get to see it as close as you do in like a camp setting, uh, it's just an absolute boomer of a leg. I mean, it's it's really impressive. He puts on a clinic every single time he punts the ball in practice. Yeah, and you weren't excited when they took him. I'm just pointing that out. You know, when I wasn't. we were working together. Oh, Alex can do the thread on that one. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, that's, he's going to be, he's going to play a key role this year. He really is. And with that defense they have, the more aggressive those guys can be, the better that defensive unit is going to be. And the, the defense can be more aggressive. They have more field behind them. And that's on Jake Bailey and that's all field position. So, you know, uh, I've said it before. I've said it a million times. I'll say it again. The, the best weapon for a defense can be a good punter, and Jake Bailey's a good punter. So I'm excited to see how how that all comes together, complimentary football. Yeah. Gunner was out there doing his pun return thing as well. There's no contact, so, you know, he's just bobbing right. and weaving through guys. But I, I thought he looked – him and Nikhil Harry, unfortunately, I thought looked pretty much the same as receivers. You know, I, I didn't really see any big jump for those guys. I thought I saw a little bit of a jump for Gunner last year as a receiver okay. in terms of the explosiveness and the quickness and stuff like that. So I don't know if there's another I, – I think there's a comfortability gear still there for Gunner as a receiver, right? Just kind of understanding the feel for the position, I think, can improve for him. But in terms of his movement skills, I think he's kind of is where he is at this point. And we see it on punt returns. I mean, he can certainly – he's explosive, right? He can certainly move on an NFL field. So it's really just more getting comfortable with doing it as a receiver versus as a punt returner. Uh, That's sort of the next step for him. So I don't know if he's necessarily moving any faster than he was last year. Same uh, with Nikhil. Kind of the same thing as last year as well. Uh, we didn't. Well, how about how about Jacoby? Jacoby, you know, last year in camp, Jacoby did absolutely nothing. Right, he was hurt for a right. while. Yeah, 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 he was wearing the red non-contact jersey for a while. That's a lot of the reason why uh, he had a slow start to the season and didn't get in there until that San Francisco game. Really, uh, was because of all those factors. He was comfortably in the top three wideouts, right? Aguilar, Bourne, yeah. Jacoby. That that was the group, and it was pretty obvious that that was the group that Josh McDaniels is counting on. You know, he's he's hoping that he can lean on those three guys at that position this year. And Jacoby looked like Jacoby of last year, you know, towards the end of last year, you know, playing as 
everything that we saw at that point, I, I don't, I didn't see anything today that said, oh, you know, he's taking a step back or, or anything like that. And I think it was, it was pretty crystal clear. They broke the huddle a couple of times, um, with, uh, Aguilar, Bourne, Myers, Hunter Henry. And you're like, okay, well, the, this right. is the, you know, John is going to be in there, obviously, and, and that's going to be a factor. But other than that, that, that's going to be the group, right? You know, those five yeah. guys, if you put Johnny in there as well, is kind of going to be the group that they count on, um, in terms of catching passes. And, and that was the group that was out there today. Um, in terms of defense, it's tough to evaluate defense if you can't hit anybody. Um, right. you know, so that, that's a tough one. Uh, Juwan Williams did have a nice pass breakup to end, uh, seven on seven. So, so did he work? Cause we talked about this on Tuesday. Did he work more as a corner or a safety? Mostly as a corner on the outside okay. in the practices so that's we big. saw. They were yeah. using, uh, Kyle Duggar and, uh, Jalen Mills a ton at safety because Devin McCourty is not there. So right. those two guys are getting a ton of run at both safety spots right now. Kind of just okay. interchangeable back there and, and sort of learning both, uh, kind of points of view in terms of the offense or in terms of the defense, excuse me. So that was good to see with Mills, you know, playing a little post safety, playing a little too deep with Kyle Duggar, then both of them rotating from low to high and stuff like that. Uh, Jawan Williams played mostly outside corner. Now they don't have a ton of outside corners in camp right well, now. He, he's the third outside corner on the roster and He's the, he's, he's the top outside there, right? corner. No, JC wasn't there today. Okay. So a couple of guys were there earlier in the week, Trey Nixon, JC, um, that weren't there today. So maybe some, right. they tweaked something or something like that that led to them sitting out today. Right. Okay. So, so just the reason I'm wondering, cause again, we talked about this on Tuesday, that third corner role is huge, especially with us not knowing what's going to happen with Stephon Gilmore. So, uh, you know, Juwan Williams hasn't had a ton of run in the NFL. He's yeah. kind of been behind JC Jackson and Stephon Gilmore for most of his career. So I think, especially because when he has played, it's somewhat been at safety. I think these reps are immensely important for him and for the team. So it's that, that's good to hear that he's playing outside corner and, he, and, and he's playing well, uh, cause they're going to need that. Yeah, he, he looked like he, you know, was holding his own, like he kind of always does. Like I never really think that Jawan Williams looks like he's swimming in it or is like, he's not a bad player. Again, it's just no. two guys he's behind. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's very tough. And that, that's why I always say that I'm not giving up on Jawan Williams quite yet because whenever we see him at camp, whenever we see him in a preseason game or he gets in at the end of a, of a game or something like that, I don't know. It, my, uh, my throat, of course, is not yeah, getting right cut. Yes. Uh, it never looks like he's overwhelmed. You know what I mean? Like it never looks like he, he's getting blown away by the talent or anything like that or, uh, getting, you know, run by or, or, or anything really. Uh, there was a couple of times when he got run by, by like Demir Bird or Philip Dorsett or something like that. But it's like you have a six foot four corner, you know, on a five nine burner. Like obviously he's not, he's going to have some tough time, uh, keeping up with Philip Dorsett on a go ball, right? You know, right. but when he's in the right matchup and he's playing the right techniques, uh, I think he can hold his own. So I'm not completely giving up on him either. Yeah, I, I mean, he can't right now because I don't know that there's any other options, right? But uh, he, he's that's, a guy that's again. A, that's a good watch. girlfriend for you, bringing me some water so I can get this. Uh, huh. That's, I mean, how I guess how bad was the pollen out there? Because it's been bad for me. And so, like, in case people don't know, because of COVID, it's limited how many people can go. So yeah. I was there today. I wasn't, but, uh, yeah. It was, it was, it was hot. It was wasn't it? my uh, my allergies were all right, but it was hot. It was eighty five and sunny, Ugh. 
and you know where you're out there in those metal bleachers right so they 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 i i feel like they do this to the media for our <laughs> our brains like get foggy or something uh, like that and we like kind of I, but, but like i'd so much rather be out there on a day like that than you know put, what are you doing with the pouring rain you can't oh, see yeah. anything yeah i'd so no, much rather be out was, there on a day like was, that that's like the was, ideal day it was a tall drink of water out there today. You know, it's 80 and sunny. You got football players playing football again. It That's was great. It was, it was, it felt like normal, you know, like yeah. it, it felt like another taste of normalcy. Um, but I think that that, uh, look, I, I don't want to go all in on all these. Like, I'm not going to tell you what Will Sherman looked like. I'm not going to like, we don't, we don't know that yet. Well, right? did, like, so, so let me ask you this. Like, did he, I'll go back to what we talked about Tuesday. Did, yeah. Where, where was he working regardless of how he looked? Was he playing tackles? He playing guard? Did he take any snaps at center, which he's been working on? Did he do any of that? So there was some guard and tackle for both, for Will Sherman. He was doing a little okay. bit of both on when it was also doing a little bit of both, which okay. is what he told us the other day, you know, so that, that right. stayed consistent with that. So there was, a lot of shuffling on the offensive line. Uh, Ted Karras was repping at guard, which doesn't surprise anybody because Andrews was playing center. Right. So, you know, there, there was, besides Karras and, and Andrews were center left guard for a lot of the, of the drills when they were out there together. Um, so that was pretty consistently that group, but they had, Sherman, they had on Wenu, uh, they had a lot of different guys rotating. Corey Cunningham played some snaps at tackle, which is right. you know, well, something that's going to keep happening. Wynn and Brown were both not there. Correct. Right? Yes. Okay, so I don't expect to see Trent Brown. OTAs isn't Trent Brown's shtick. You know what I mean? Like he, <laughs> yeah. he'll, he'll be here July 31st, right? Or, or, you know, in, in June for minicamp. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't think he's going to come out for these voluntary things. Um, but Isaiah Wynn wasn't there either. Um, and so it was really at tackle. It was Tehran, Anwenu, Cunningham. You know that those three guys were getting a ton of work in Sherman at tackle. Sherman a little bit, but I would say he was more repping at guard. Um, okay, that's if, interesting. If you have to say the majority, you know, of his snaps, yeah. I would say it was more at guard than tackle. See, that's that's interesting to me because he was a tackle in college, and I wonder right. if they're just trying to get him more work at guard to truly turn him into a four spot player. Because, like I said on Tuesday, I think. If you're comfortable with him in four spots, right? So teams generally keep nine offensive linemen, nine to ten offensive linemen, right? You, right. You're starting five, uh, one backup tackle at, at six, one backup interior lineman that's seven, uh, and then one backup center is eight, and then sometimes you have a floater. If Sherman can be both the third string guard behind Karras and the backup tackle that just eliminates a lineman you have to carry. And because it's going to be, I'm trying to do the math in my head. So I apologize if I butchered that, but you get the idea, right? right. If, if, if he can, you normally have a, a, a backup guard and a backup tackle. If Sherman can be both, that's one less guy you have to keep on the roster. And it's one more roster spot you have for a wide receiver, for a running back, for a linebacker where they'll certainly need the roster spots. So that, that's why it's a big development to me. Like we'll see how he looks. I'm not going to, the reason I asked you where he was playing because you know, it ultimately comes down to how does he play at guard to make that happen. Yeah. I'm not going to make, I don't want to make that judgment off one practice. That's not fair, especially in non-contact right. practice for alignment. But the fact that he's getting significant work at guard tells me that that is the plan. That's probably the, the, the plan they're working towards the path they're working on with him of turning him into a four spot player or a five spot player. 
Yeah, and, and that, now's the time of year to do all that kind of stuff, right? It, it just, this is where you rep everywhere and, and right. you cross train and you do all that kind of stuff. So definitely a lot of that going on up with the offensive lineman. David Andrews, the only center, no, no, no guard or, or tackle for David Andrews, right? He, he's staying place and, and uh, staying put in one place. Uh, other than the uh, guys that were out there in terms of the players, I, I did want to bring up, uh, first Ernie Adams, uh, just, out of the corner of our eye towards the end of practice, all of a sudden he comes sauntering out onto the field and I'm just looking around like, is, is that Ernie Adams? Like, what is he doing here? Like he, a week ago he was retired. Now is he unretired again? So like Ernie Adams uh, releases that statement to Mike Reese saying that he's going to, now he's going to be a fan, right? He, he's done, his right. work is done and he's going to go be a fan. And, Turns out he's back at practice. Like the first time that we get to see practice, Ernie Adams is back cool. out there with the with the towel wrapped around his head and, and the arms folded and everything. Just like nothing changed. I mean, how many fans would love to be there? He's just the only Patriots fan that has that access. Right. Um, I mean, we, we've seen this before where people from the Patriots re- retire, but they don't retire. The big one, right? Dante Scarnecchi has still been involved. He still talks to a lot of these linemen. Even some of the players, like Troy Brown, I know he's officially a coach now, but there was, yeah. what, two, two, three years there where he wasn't, you know, officially, it was a, he wasn't was a, on, the, on the website or anything, but he was just right. there at practice every day. I think Dion Branch yeah. did that at one point, right? right? Where he would just show up at practice and work with players without an official role. This is what they do. They keep it in the family. They keep people around. It's a place people want to be. So it's, I, I, I had a little smile when I saw Ernie was, was back. Pink stripes forever. Yeah, pink stripes forever. And he, he's not a type of guy either. Like, I obviously don't know Ernie Adams personally, but I don't get the sense that Ernie Adams is the type of guy that just can quit, like, cold turkey right. in terms of working in football, right? Like, when you're that in, neck deep in something, like, it's pretty hard to just and rip he has the been for so long. Right. So right. it kind of seems like he came out at the end of practice more. Uh, he came out around the same time that Robert Kraft came out as well uh, to just kind of check in and see how things were going and, and get a view of the team and stuff like that. So it was definitely not he, – he wasn't there fully evaluating, although he was standing there with his arms crossed staring at, at the play, field of play. So it was – it was classic Ernie. Uh, the other thing that was very, very interesting, especially off the heels of Bill Belichick's press conference this morning when he was asked about Matt Patricia, for the first 30, 35 minutes of practice, Bill and uh, Matt Patricia were standing next to each other chatting about something uh, for uh, about 30 minutes. And it just – it was really interesting to see because it, it – it's he's kind of like his confidant, like his consigliere, right? You know, he's wherever right. I kind of point you, you go sort of thing, right? And and he kind of has that trust uh, because of his experience, because of his experience in the system with the Patriots to sort of allow Matty P to just sort of be around and, and just do different things for them. It, I found it very interesting how close by Matty P seemed to be to Bill pretty much the entire practice. Well, he's the new... Ernie Adams, right? That's what people speculated, and that was kind of Ernie's role, just standing next to Bill and never, you know, from what we've seen from Mike Duff, and I'm sure that's just scraping the surface, but it wasn't always necessarily, you know, heavy football talk. It was just bouncing ideas off each other. So I'm sure Patricia's a a guy Bill feels like he can do that with. And, yeah, it would be really interesting to be a fly on the wall for that conversation, certainly. Yeah, it was, it definitely caught my eye and, uh, you know, just two guys standing kind of in the corner of the practice field and you're like, that, that's Matt Patricia right there next to the head coach, you know, 
get in his his brain picked about some drill they're probably doing or you know something like that and and that was uh that was pretty interesting as well um there's still a lot of questions obviously in the chat i I saw some trey nixon uh request trey nixon was not at practice today he's he's dealing with an injury so we didn't get to see him yadney could juice is still kind of a ghost like he was he was there, but I didn't actually see him do anything. I don't think. Um, I, I gotta next week if we, if we get to go back, I'll have to be more careful about looking for that and seeing if if Caduce is doing anything. But uh, we did attendance, and he he was one that we checked off. You know, so so he was he was physically out there. Um, but there's not the man, the myth, the legend. It's crazy. He's like a he's literally a ghost. Um. Didn't see much out of any of the linemen, quite frankly. You know, they're, they're, they're barely going full half speed at this point. This is all just mental reps for them. So it's kind of hard right. to gauge anything from any of those guys. Um, Nikhil Harry, in terms of improvement from him, I, I mentioned this briefly. I, I didn't see anything different from what we saw last year with him in terms of how fast he was moving, in terms of his, uh, his foot speed or agility or change of direction and, and look he's he's a, a big guy who's got heavy feet you know I I think that that's that's really how uh, it's going to be I, I don't think that in year three or year four Nikhil Harry's all of a sudden going to change into you know Devontae Adams or Julio Jones or something like that overnight I, I think it's pretty clear that he's sort of what that he is who he is right and and maybe they can get the best out of him by using him correctly, uh, you know, going into this season as sort of a downfield jump ball red zone type of receiver instead of trying to let him run with the football, try try to get him the ball down the field a little bit more. And of course, Alex, uh, the, the question's pouring in about Julio Jones. And uh, if the yeah, be, so gonna... be, before we get to that, there was one yeah. other question because somebody asked and I wanted to touch on it and they yeah. brought up Ramondre Stevenson. Yes. And he was the guy I was a little surprised wasn't there. I don't know if I missed something and he wasn't there because of injury. I apologize. Right. But right. I, I, I said on Tuesday, he's a guy, I think, even though he's a rookie running back with the Patriots and they don't generally play these guys, I think there's a role for him to win. I do. I think Rex Burkhead's old spot. He'd be a yeah. perfect fit for that. Um, so I, I was a little surprised to see he didn't take part today. If it was because of injury, obviously that's unfortunate and you hope he gets healthy. Um, I think we did see he was there early in the week. So I right. don't want to totally put the kid on blast. This isn't to knock him or anything like that, but you know, just in terms of players we we're looking forward to seeing, I think, uh, my two I gave at the end of last show were Donta Hightower, who wasn't there. He just got married a couple of days ago and congratulations to him, obviously. And then Ramondre Stevenson, who wasn't there either. So. Yeah, uh, we were yeah. all surprised to not see Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, Christian Barmore yeah. hasn't been out there either. So there, there's a couple of rookies that have sort of been missing. Uh, Trey Nixon, I mentioned, was not there too. Uh, I was really surprised to see Ramondre Stevenson absent as well. So maybe it is an injury or something's going on with him. Though there was only two running backs at, at practice today. Uh, JJ Taylor and, uh, Tyler Gaffney were the only two running backs on the field. So that, that was interesting. Kind of tells you why they signed Tyler Gaffney. They signed Tyler Gaffney because they literally needed him to run practice. Like, right. That's like what I'm that saying. was literally it. Like, he's not going to make the team, and he's literally here because they knew going into these OTAs that they only had one, maybe two running backs that they were going to be able to have out there. Uh, so JJ Taylor and Tyler Gaffney got a whole lot of run out there today, and I, I thought Taylor looked decent. Um, there was one throw along the sideline. He, he ran a wheel route along the sideline, laid out for it. He just missed it. Um, but he's a small guy, so so to see him stretch out like that and come close to catching it was pretty impressive uh, in itself. Uh, there's some uh, questions about Quinn Norton. 
the rookie kicker, the only undrafted rookie on the Patriots roster right now, if I am not mistaken. Yeah, no, you're right. He's got a he's got a leg. I'll give him that. I, I, I would hope I, he has too. I <laughs> I don't know if he uh how accurate it's going to be, right? And and that was sort of the question mark, I believe. You you know kicker's better than me, Alex, but right. I, I think that was the question mark coming in. Um, but he definitely has a boot. You know, he, he can kick the ball far. I, whether that, you know, kind of comes to fruition in terms of accuracy, uh, Justin Rohrwasser kicked the ball far. So, well, wait, wait, how about Aguayo? How did Aguayo look? Aguayo, you know, was pretty quiet throughout camp, uh, throughout practice today, I should say. Uh, not a ton of, of kicks for him that I that I can remember. Uh Norton was kicking they had a period that was sort of an in between type period. Uh, it was when the quarterbacks were doing the trash can thing and uh there was a the other field uh there was punt return going on. So the backup long snapper and 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 uh Quinn Norton, they, those guys were kind of working out on the uh, on the field by themselves and that's when I saw Norton kick. And, uh, he, he drilled a couple that, that looked pretty impressive. I didn't see Aguayo kick very much. I think he kicked once or twice and, uh, I think he made both of them, but they were like from like 39, 40 kind of extra points. So nothing too, uh, fancy to say about him. So I'll say this with the kickers. If you want to know what to look for in a kicker, and there's a number of things, but here's the, the one basic, uh, kind of thing that applies to, to, to all kickers. How, repeat how how often do they repeat their motion how consistent is their kicking motion that's what you want to look for and it it really comes down to details you know because some guys they'll they'll like bend their arm a little bit some guys have a straight arm some guys the shoulders in some guys the shoulders back you know you pick up on the little things what what angle do they plant their foot at how far back do they bring their leg on the wind up what you know how do they rotate their hips you just look at all the little elements of what they're doing and then when you watch 10 kicks how many of those things do they do on all 10 kicks Right. That, that's where accuracy comes from. Power is power. You don't really, you don't really need to scout that. You just kind of know, like you said, you can tell the guy can kick the ball far. Most guys by this point have the leg to, in theory, hit a 50, 55 yard field goal. The question is, can they do it with any consistency? Because the harder you kick, the more you're jarring your body and you, it's like a golf swing, right? You, the harder you swing, the more likely your swing is to fall apart for all of us who play golf and might just, as an analogy here. So when you look at kickers, it's the same thing. It's all right. As he swings harder and the more times he kicks, how much does his motion change or can he keep it consistent? Can you do the same motion over and over and over again? I know of scouts who will literally scout kickers by, they take 10 kicks all from the same camera angle and they'll overlay them and literally watch them all on top of each other to see how much it lines up. So that's when you look for a kicker, that's what you look for. But if it, you know, like you said, Norton only kicked a couple times, Aguayo only kicked a couple times. Yeah. It, it can be hard to get the picture from that. Yeah. There was no, uh, there was no field goal, you know, period today where they right. were kicking field goals quite yet. Nick Folk wasn't there. So they weren't, we're not quite there yet with the kickers. Uh, they did, uh, I don't know if they did this last year and I just forgot, um, but they did change the fields. So the fields are now. Yeah, they, Oh, I was there two years ago. Okay, so maybe I just forgot last year that it was like that as well. I remember them being uh, up and down. Well, but. oh no, because you know what, last year because they do them that way for at least 2018 and 19 when I was there, 
it was the long way they went across for OTAs and yeah. then up and down for training camp. So there okay. were no OTAs last year. So you wouldn't have had that layout. Right. Right. So yeah, they did the, they're, they're across right now. Uh, that stings forever has to paint the lines that they have to, to flip the field. I would love again. that job. I feel like that'd be great. Go out, paint the field, groundskeeping. I mean, I've done groundskeeping for baseball. It's a ton of fun. Okay. All right. I'll take your word for it. That seems like a, a sunburn and a long day to me, but I, I'll take your word for it that it's fun. Uh, should we end it on Julio? Yeah. Do you want to just take Julio and maybe hear their questions? We want to do yeah. another Boston can, sports minute. Like we, did we, we can do that. We got in a couple more minutes, but here's uh, our first question uh, yeah. on, on Julio. A percentage chance that Julio Jones is traded to the New England Patriots. Benjamin Albright tweeted right before I um I uh, I we started this this show uh that it's in play. And I, no. I trust Albright. I, I think he's got some some good birdies out there. So I, I think it's at least in play. Um do I think it's more than fifty percent chance? No. I, I would say maybe I'll put it at thirty three point three percent. See, so I, I was gonna go as high as forty. I think if you asked me to pick the Patriots or the field I'd pick the field. Yeah. I think there's a better chance he gets traded to a non-New England team than New England. Yeah. But, like, if I'm setting odds in Vegas with Diana Rossini's report today that the Titans are a long shot, the Patriots are my favorite. So that that's what it comes down to. Like, I think he's getting traded. I think that's a foregone conclusion. I don't know yeah. that anybody outside of maybe some really unrealistic Falcons fans disagree at that at this point with that. Oh, yeah. No, you know, I, I think he's getting traded – I, I think the Patriots are the favorite, but I think it's close, and I think that there's more teams involved probably than we know. So, yeah, I'm probably like 35, 40, somewhere in there. I'd, take, I'd pick the field up against the Patriots if I had a bet. Is it any of the 30 other teams of the Patriots? I'd say it's one of the 30 teams. Um, but I think if you're going on an individual team basis, the Patriots, in my mind, have the – the most to gain from it with if the Titans are out and I don't think the Packers are realistic. I think the Patriots have the most to gain in that case. And I don't think Atlanta wants to send them to the NFC and a lot of the yeah. other realistic teams are in the NFC. Now I think the Colts, I think the chargers are certainly threats. Those yeah, would probably the, be the Colts have the, for me. The Colts have the tough thing to overcome of, of the Wentz trade, right? They, they traded a bunch of picks for Carson Wentz. So I, I think right. they, they traded a, Maybe it was a, a conditional third or something like that in the first, right? For Carson yeah. Wentz was the deal. Well, so. well, so there's that pick that's the second, but could turn into a first. But right. it's, it's going to be a first. Like right. they have to and go they, they, wrong. They can't trade the first because if it turns into a first, then they don't have a first. So I'm pretty sure right. that they're they're caught there. Now the report out there that there's a, a first round pick on the table for Julio kind of brings us into the next question. Of, well, so. I'm just gonna okay. propose no, well, this. Somebody brought it up in the chat. We can do we can do this first because it, it it still applies. Right. So what what's the highest that you would give up for Julio Jones? What's the most you give up for Julio Jones? The the package that I continuously hear for Julio is like a second, a fifth, and Sony Michelle. Right. right. A second, a fifth, and Nikhil Harry. Uh, something that's a, a two decent picks and a player that's. An NFL roster role player, right? We're not calling, we're not trading him, you know, a superstar, we're not trading him, uh, you know, Stephon Gilmore, uh, for, for Julio Jones, but you're trading something that a guy that they are going to roster in 2021. 
Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm probably second, fifth in a player. I might even go second, fourth in a player. Yeah. Um, if I'm the Patriots. So this is, this is kind of what I wanted to say before. Some of it depends on the team and somebody brought this up in the chat. The sleeper for me here is the Kansas City Chiefs. They yeah. would need to do some cap gymnastics, but they've been doing, I mean, they, they had no cap space one day and the next day they paid Joe Tooney $80 million. Right. They'll figure it out. And those, the, the biggest jump in the NFL draft from pick to pick is pick one to two because right. at pick one, you can draft anybody you want. The second biggest jump, honestly, for me, it's not two to three. The second biggest jump is 32 to 33 because there's so much value, so much value with that fifth year option and that extra year of team control. So if I'm the Patriots and I know I'm going to need a cornerback or I'm going to need a tackler, I'm going to need one of these high paid positions in the next couple of years. I'm really hesitant to trade my first round pick. Now, a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, they're okay. They're okay. Parting with the 30, you know, 29, 30, 31st pick in the draft isn't that big of a deal. There's only three teams realistically, I think, that could make that move. Tampa, and they're, I mean, if they do it, don't even play the season. They don't need to. There's no reason for Tampa to make that trade. Uh, I don't even think they have maneuverable cap space. That's not going to happen. The Packers are probably on the outside looking in. But, again, I look at their cap space. Unless they're going to move Rodgers and get Julio as a weapon for Jordan Love, I don't see it happening. The Chiefs, I think, could move it around a little bit easier because they have guys where they can move money around. Uh, and they have a little more long-term security than a team like the Packers does. The Chiefs can move a first. That's who I think that report was today. That's my sleeper team in all of this. So uh, to go back to the question that's on the screen right now, if I'm the Patriots, second, fourth, and a player, or like second, fourth, and a seventh, um, I'd even do a pick swap thing where it's like a second, fourth, and a sixth, and then you get Julio and a seventh back, something like that. You that, get that's, creative there. That's sort of what I feel like Bill Belichick right. would want to do. Is like He's going to want to figure out a way right, where a pick comes back and there's a pick swap involved. But right. Uh, I, I think there are teams that are in position to offer more than the Patriots and the Chiefs are one of them. Kansas City has about a little bit over $7 million in cap space right now. So they would need Julio to agree to a restructure of the contract. They could convert salary to signing bonus. They could rip up his deal and make a new well, one. You know, there's ways to circumvent that number. So the other thing to remember here is if you're giving up a first, you just have inherently such a better offer that, you know, there's been talk of, of the Falcons agreeing to eat money. Yeah. If, if they yeah. get the right offer, if you're Kansas City, you say, hey, we're the only team offering you a first-round pick. The only way we're going to do that is if you eat some of the money. You can free up cap space by just never having that cap space hit you by figuring out a way to keep – you're not going to be able to do all of it, but keeps any little bit that you can keep in Atlanta to begin with certainly helps. Sort of like an NBA trade, right? Where like yeah. in the NBA – I mean, this is, this is an NBA trade. Yeah, you know, another team kind of – the, the team train, the player pays a little bit of the player's salary so that it makes it baseball. They do it all the time too, where, where yeah. one team's playing half the guy's salary for the rest of the year or something like that. So that they could get creative like that to get him to Kansas City. Um, I could see that. I could see the Chargers. Look, but from what I saw today from the Patriots and I, I'm already in on Julio. Like I already think it's a great idea yeah. for the Patriots. The fact that Mac Jones has made such a quick impression and has already risen up to QB2 and all that kind of stuff. You, you put, Julio out there with Aguilar and Hunter Henry and Johnny when he eventually gets in here and all these guys and you just make the job on Mac Jones so much easier. Right. And, and we talked about like all these great guys he's throwing to in college and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and 
He's got all this talent around him. Well, when Mac Jones had that talent around him, he won a national championship and threw 40 touchdowns and, and had all these great stats and was a Heisman Trophy finalist. So I'm not saying he's going to be an MVP finalist if you get Julio Jones in here or anything crazy like that. But well, if he's a finalist? Yeah, if he could do that with what he had at Alabama and he's got great supporting cast here in New England, then why can't he be a really good player for the Patriots right away? Right? You know, I mean, sure. it's that that's sort of the argument against Mac is his physical talent and the fact that he's throwing to a bunch of number one, you know, first round draft picks at wide receiver. Well, Julio is a first round draft pick. So, you know, like, right. you know, there you go. Right. So all the people uh, who want to compare him to, to, uh, you know, Greg McElroy or AJ McCarron. Right. Who do you think those guys would throw to? It was literally Julio Jones. Right. I don't know that Greg McElroy threw to Julio Jones. I think, yeah, I think that was McCarron. So that's our uh, 10 minutes on Julio Jones that we have to do until June 2nd when he's traded. Hopefully there, there's a chance that we might find out that this deal is done in principle before that June 2nd uh, date kicks in, but that will be the day that officially gets uh, underway because of the cap implications there. Um, a couple of other questions here. Um, the Dante Hightower question continues to, to come up. About- oh, hang on. It, by the way, it was Greg McElroy throwing to Julio Jones. They were, oh. both the, they were both the same year. I don't know how I pulled that out of my ass. I could have sworn it was uh, McCarron, but okay. Anyway, okay. I was just proud of myself for that. So, so, yeah, so here's a Hightower question. We did uh, get – a kind of an answer from Bill Belichick on this this morning, I would say, Alex, uh, with Dante Hightower saying that he expects everybody that's currently on the 90-man roster to play this season. He doesn't expect anybody to retire at this point. So I think it's safe to say uh, the head coach, unless he was lying, which I I don't think he necessarily was, uh, would be surprised if Dante Hightower retires at this point. Well, he did throw in that whole kind of, you know, things change, that's life. Yeah. So that, that, that stung me a little bit, but, yeah. you know, I, I'm not putting any stock in Hightower not being there again. He just got married. You know, shout out, by the way, to him and Aaron Rodgers for figuring out to plan their weddings around OTAs or their honeymoons yeah. around OTAs so they have a legitimate excuse not to yeah. go. Love it. Total power move. All they didn't know, they didn't know Aaron Rodgers and, uh, Miles Teller were, were good friends. And that, I learned that this week. I would watch that Project X sequel. <laughs> Because Miles Teller, people forget, Miles, the most, of all the ridiculous things that happen in Project X, and by the way, if you've never seen it, great movie. Now we're talking. Of, of, I just want to, I want to throw this out there, because okay. this is a take I feel strongly about. With Dante, oh. is Dante Hightower on the screen as we're talking, uh, retiring it, as we're talking <laughs> about Project X? It, it's, I, I made a connect. Of all, you can take it down if you want. Of all the ridiculous things that happen in the movie Project X, the most ridiculous uh, part of that movie is Miles Teller playing a character named Miles Teller. He just randomly appears in that movie, and all of a sudden he's, not he's like he, dancing he, at the party, and you're just like, "What? What is Miles Teller doing in this scene?" He plays right now? a guy named Miles Teller. Like the writers, at what they they come up with all these creative things about the party, and then they're just like, "What should we name Miles Teller's character?" Oh no, Miles Teller, and they're just like nobody asks any questions about it. It just happened. So apparently someone in the chat is saying that Miles Teller is really good friends with uh Sheehan Woodley. I buy that. I don't, I, I don't know a ton like, about like I'm not a big Hollywood guy. I'm not a big, I'm not big, big into guy, this into I'll this uh it. this crew of of people but uh I, I don't know. It's a, that's interesting. You know, the more you know. All right. Yeah. Um, I think we can wrap it up there on that project X Aaron Rodgers Miles Teller. Are we uh, do are we doing a quick Boston Sports minute? 
As to what do you what do you think about the Islanders? You you worried? You scared? Yeah, I am. I think they're a good team. I think they're a well rounded team. They've got a little bit of that team of destiny vibe. That building was absolutely rocking last night. That was pretty cool to see. Objectively, uh, Bruins are going to need a hell of a series. They completely shut down Crosby. The Islanders did. I assume they're going to come. Great defensive team. Great defensive coach. They're going to come ready for the perfection line. They're going to need a big series from Tuca. They're going to need a big series from the defense, and they're going to need a big series from their depth players. Matthew Barzal scares me. That oh, absolutely. Good. That guy's fast. He's good with the puck. He, he, he's a scary guy to go up against. But I agree. I agree with Leon here. Bruins in six. That's, I, that's, uh, my, that's my prediction. Oh, this no. Feels that, like a, that was the wrong one. <laughs> there we go. This, this feels like a seven-game series yep. to me. I'll go I'll go Bruins in seven. How do you feel about Franchi getting sent down? It was not for Jeremy Duran. It. It's not for Jeremy I don't Duran. love that. But, I, look, I just – 3-1 Habs against the Leafs, if anybody cares. Bruins and six. That's all I'm saying. Franchi right. Cadero, not, I, I didn't want to see any more Franchi Cadero. I, I honestly thought that it was just crazy, like even watching him fielding or like throwing a football back into the infield or anything like that was just any, anything to do with baseball, uh, with Franchi Cadero was a struggle for the last three months yeah. or whatever it's been. So I, I'm glad that that guy is no longer in the Red Sox outfield. Uh, bring on Duran Duran. Uh, we are waiting Jaren. for no- Jaren Duran. Thank you. I uh, love the guy so much. Just learned his name. I just know his last name. Yeah, Fair it's enough. easy enough. Uh, I- I'm waiting for Duran. There's no reason to wait any longer. I know that they're going to sit there and sell us on a bag of goods about how he needs to work on his fielding or his base running or, or something lame like that. Bring up the kid. Guy hits nothing but dingers. Let's go. Like, I mean, like, you, let's you stop might- messing around. You might want to jump into the 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 Jaron Duran discourse on Twitter because it might get you and me me too ready for for the inevitable Mac Jones discourse because I think there's going to be some some similar conversations there. I I was doing it last night. There was nothing to do. That cocked a three hour rain delay. We're still pouring when they picked up after. It was ridiculous. Uh, Celtics win. The Celtics win a game. No. Yeah, I agree. Slipped. And also, this is what I was trying to say earlier about Aaron Rodgers and Miles Teller, and I agree a hundred percent. That group's a red flag to me. Wow. All right, it just is, and I think it, I, I just I think the whole group is a red flag. How, I how? I think it's a bad influence. I wouldn't want Tom Brady when he was on the Patriots hanging out with Miles Teller and his wife and actresses and stuff like. No, he he dated no. an actress. Yeah, it didn't go well. I don't know. I I don't know that much about Shailene Woodley or Miles. I don't know anything about them. I'm not. So how do you say they're a bad influence? Or you just don't like him hanging out with Hollywood people in general? Yeah, I just feel like that. Like those types of people, they just they. You don't want your. Well, if he's going to go be on TV and host Jeopardy, he needs to get to know the entertainment types. I'm just saying that if I'm a Packer fan, not, I don't even care that he's not at OTAs, the MVP of the league. He doesn't need to come to OTAs, Right. right? I don't even care about that. What I care about is. Well, I forgot Tom Brady dated Tara. That's I, I, I knew you were talking about Bridget Moynihan, but I actually I was about I was, Reed but Denver. that's a good poll. Yeah, I I don't know. I just American Pie, great movie. Tara, uh, Tom Brady Senior is the one that that broke that one up, I believe. Yeah, that's probably smart. Uh, but yeah. I, I don't. Aaron Rodgers wants to be on TV. About. He should hang out with the entertainment people. That's what I, he should be doing. I just I don't know. If, if you're I'm a Packers, Packers fan, fan, I don't like it. I like I'll say I don't like it. If you're a Packers fan. And you were fine with everything up until now, and this is where you're starting to worry. You, 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 
what, what have you been watching for the last two months? What were you watching on draft night? If this is where you're like, oh, you know what? Maybe things aren't going good. Yeah, no, duh. It's been trending that way. I, I don't look at this and be like, this is the last straw. This is the red flag. This last is, draw. this is the, this is, this I'm is out. like, he's I don't been heading this way. Right, like, oh, yeah, I was fine when, you know, he walked off the field and let the team kick that field goal. I was fine when he demanded a trade on draft night, but he's on a honeymoon in Hawaii with it's an not actor about, and an actress? It's not about no. the honeymoon. It's about Miles Teller, all right? Like, I just, I don't know. It just it rubs me the wrong way. That, that, that's all I can say. I have no I, reason. I, I, have, I, have abs- I have absolutely no reason to think that. I have, I, I'm going off of absolutely nothing. I, I, I'm just saying, the fact that I just, there are, I just get a bad vibe. There are plenty of red flags with Aaron Rodgers. I don't know that, that hanging out with Miles Teller, star of Project X, cracks the top ten. And no, I don't know any other movies Miles Teller's in. I Come on, you've never a seen single Shailene Woodley movie. You've never, never seen, seen what? Whiplash? I have not. It's a not. great movie. Okay. Oh, you should see that. I haven't that. seen it. I haven't it's a great seen movie. it. Miles uh, Teller. Uh, I forget who the the supporting actor in the movie won Best Supporting Actor in the Oscars. Uh, that that's a great movie. You should watch that. Uh, Shannon Woodley was a uh, di- divergent. You know the the books that weren't the Hunger Games. You know she, I, she's, I, she's 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 basically watched, knockoff I, Jennifer Lawrence. I basically right? watched that's who she is. Three kinds of movies. I watch. Absurd comedies, so like, you know, like Seth Rogen, Will Ferrell, Adam say on the movies. I watch mob movies, so The Departed, Goodfellas, and I watch Star Wars. That's there it. There you go. That's pretty much the extent of what I watch. I, I've never seen Divergent, but all I know is, is that Jen Woodley is basically knockoff Jennifer Lawrence. Like she's, she's the other teenage, you know, uh, comic book girl or whatever you want to call it. So okay. that, that, that that's her. Uh yeah. Go go watch Whiplash though. That's a great movie. That that's the I'll, one I'll put it on my list. That's the one thing I will give Miles Teller is that that was a fantastic movie. Um but on that note, yes. Al- Alex and I will be back on the show. This was fun though. This was, it fun. was fun. We should do more of this. Absolutely. Alex and I will be back on the uh, pod on Tuesday. Um, maybe we'll do the Q&A on Tuesday and then do some OTA stuff on Thursday or vice versa or something like that. But we're going to have plenty more Patriots coverage coming up. This is a fun time of year for the Patriots and for NFL in general with OTAs. Uh, basically, it's all hype right now. So so we get to just have some fun and, and, and think about uh, things that matter way too much that don't matter at all, right? Like OTA practices and, uh, you know, who's taking and reps where in, in the middle of June or, or late May or whatever. But uh, we'll be back on Tuesday on the pod and uh, Thursday of next week as well. And uh, hopefully uh, back out of training camp or, and OTAs next week. And then mandatory make, mini camp uh, June 14th through the 16th, I believe it is. And then uh, yeah. we go back into the uh, the true dead period of the NFL offseason between uh, mini camp and the start of training camp at the end of July. But that's uh, a little bit farther away away. So we'll be back on Tuesday more OTA talk, more questions, um, more questions about uh, Whiplash and Miles Teller and Aaron Rodgers as well. So we'll see you guys then. Thanks for hanging out, everyone.